If you're still on the hunt for a sports book to call home, bet the nonstop action of March Madness with my bookie. Enter bracket contests for a chance to take home prizes of up to $25,000 or pick from a huge selection of straight bets, props, and odds boosts. Whatever your style, MyBookie makes it easy to play your way and get paid. Sign up now and take advantage of our generous welcome offer to score a massive first deposit bonus of up to $1,000. All you have to do is claim promo code MADNESS50. But the fun doesn't stop there. Get up-to-the-minute odds, free bets, and expert predictions to help you decide who to put your money on. The best part about MyBookie? You can bet on anything, anytime, from anywhere. Use promo code MADNESS50, that's MADNESS50, to secure your limited-time welcome bonus today. What's up, guys? Welcome back to another edition of the Glory UGA Podcast. I'm Tyler, and here with me on the other end of the line is my co-host, Curtis. And uh, first off, I just want to apologize for the, the delay in getting this show out. We always try to get these recap shows out the day after a game as we go throughout the season. You guys know that's kind of how we worked it throughout this entire 2018 season. So I know it's a couple of days late, but have a good excuse. Had to get back from New Orleans. Uh, but I am back now, and we are ready to try to maybe somehow possibly make sense of this uh, pretty massive Sugar Bowl letdown. And I don't know about you, Kurt, but this is a game, I mean, it flat out pissed me off. Like, I am angry about this. And usually after a loss, I'm I'm either just numb for the first 24 to 48 hours, and then I'm just something that's like despondent depression. But I haven't, maybe I'll get there. I haven't quite gotten there yet. I mean, there's a little bit of depression mixed in there. But really, more than anything, the emotion I'm experiencing most after this game is just flat out 100% anger. Are you kind of with me there, or am I just off base here? I mean, I was angry at first. I think the one thing that got me was I kind of expected it almost because I knew it was going to be one of two outcomes. Yeah, we kind of talked about talked about that on the preview show. And that, I mean, that's one of the things, like, on the way back, the long drive back from New Orleans, I mean, just trying to work through all this in my head, and it's like, I'm with you. Like, it's really totally, to me, not surprising. I know to a lot of people, like, when I got back in town and I talked to a few people, um, the, of course, you know, me being like like the Georgia guy that in like my friend group, everyone, whenever we lose, uh, it's like the worst thing about it. Like, I mean, there's a lot of bad things about losing, but whenever I'm around any of my friends, any of my coworkers, the first thing I want to talk about is, oh, Georgia, oh, what happened? I'm like, oh my God, I really don't want to talk about this. But to the, everyone I've talked to since I've gotten back in town is basically like, what happened? Like, I didn't see this coming at all. And I'm sitting, I'm like, really? Like, you and I talked about this. It was really kind of one or two ways to look at this game coming into it, right? You've seen history, you know, history in the last, for a while. I mean, look at Auburn last year, Bama against Oklahoma, Bama against Utah. I mean, it, it, it's history. Yeah, and I think actually, I, I, I want to give credit. To, I think it was Pat Forty who, who put this out there. I want to say it was Pat Forty. Uh, writer for Yahoo, college football writer for Yahoo, or college sports writer. I think he does basketball too. But anyway, Pat Forty, you guys probably know him. Uh, he put out a tweet um, a day or so after the game. I think the, the stat was the the number five team in the playoff era, so the, basically the first team to get left out, right, is now one in five in New Year's Six Bowl games. Isn't that pretty telling? It is. And I, I mean, and that's why I said, I mean, it it's the letdown factor. Yeah, it is. And, which doesn't justify it, but it. It makes. It, I mean, it. Doesn't, it adds context to what me. happened. It adds context, yeah. but but and I'm with you. It doesn't like. I understand that. Like intellectually, I get it. Yeah, you know, we thought we should be playing in a bigger game, and we, you know, we had the SEC championship where we blew that game, had it for the second time against the same team, 
just blew that, and we f- still feel like we were the one of the four best teams, should have gotten in, or at least our, our players felt that way. A lot of our fans, I felt that way. A lot of you guys out there felt that way, but it, it didn't end up happening. So when you come in a game like this, when you're playing a team that's 8-4 and four, that lost to a 6-6 six and six, uh, uh, Oklahoma State team, lost to a 5-win Maryland team, and you're kind of like, oh, it's, a, it's kind of like this exhibition consolation deal. Um, so, I mean, it adds context, but I'm with you. It doesn't justify loss. Regardless, you have to overcome that. If we want to be the program that we want to be long-term and get where we want to go, if we truly want to be this consistent elite program, a blue-blood college program, if we want to get there, if we're not already there, or if we want to stay there, whatever, however you want to look at that, we have to get over these kind of things, right? Yeah, you do. You have to win these games. You can't use that as a crutch. I get, I get it. It makes sense. That is what happened, in my opinion. But it can't be what happened. We cannot allow that to happen. So, but yeah, I mean, like it's it was a totally unsurprising outcome for me because, like we said, there's two ways of this coming. Either we're gonna have the the outcome where we come in, we're uh, we're we're just kind of hung over from the SEC title game, and we uh, we're just not into this game. We're not jacked up for it, and we kind of just walk through it and go through the motion, which is exactly what happened. Or the other alternative was kind of what Ohio State did one year when they go in, they get left out, and they go out to to a. Uh, Arizona and just beat the crap out of Notre Dame in the Fiesta Bowl, and you want to make a statement, you want to make a point that hey, you made a mistake in leaving us out. So to me, those were we said this on the on the previous show. Those were the two possible outcomes. I didn't see anywhere in between, um, and unfortunately for us, it was the former. It was the hey, we're just not going to be ready to play uh, scenario, which has kind of been what's happened for these number five teams coming into the New Year Six Bowl games, but. I'm angry about it because even though, yeah, there's some context there, that should not happen. It just shouldn't happen at this stage with our program. But uh, So, look, we have a lot to talk about. We have a lot more to get into. So let's start talking about the game itself, Kurt. So in in the preview show that we did a, a couple days before the bowl game, I laid out the numbers, the offensive and defensive numbers, your basic stats, your advanced stats. I laid out basically all the numbers for both Texas and our Georgia football program, uh, the numbers that we that we both put up on the year. And it was clear that from a statistical standpoint that we were definitely the statistically superior team. But this is college football, and the, quote, better and, quote, more talented team doesn't always win. We know that. Upsets happen. They do. We just saw one on Tuesday. So, Kurt, let's look at this from an on-field perspective. Like, why did we lose this game? How did this upset happen? Um, I think the biggest thing is we just didn't execute. I think that's one of the biggest things uh, was lack of execution, both on defense and on offense. I mean, I think you're you're definitely right there. And this is something you and I talk about. Like when we do lose games the past couple of years under Kirby Smart, you know, a, a lot of people always want to blame coaches, right? But you and I are always – or not always, are often talking about how the team did not execute. We put it more on the players than the coaches. Do you see it the same way for this game, or do the coaches bear a little bit more culpability in this loss than they have maybe in some of the other losses where we've kind of put it on the players not executing? I mean, you could – I mean, you could, there's always blame to go on everyone. I think the coaches deserve their fair, fair amount of blame. But at the same time, once again, you know, it was misplays. I mean, Richard LeCount had numerous missed tackles. The missed sack where he rolls out and ends up getting 20, 30 yards. Uh, um, the, you know, the bad snap on the punt where he has to take, you know, drop oh, to a knee to catch yeah. it. Drop passes, uh, missed touchdown yeah, passes by Fromm. The fumble, the fumble on our side of the field, 10, 10 points pretty much off turnovers right there. Yep. Um, you know, the third down 
uh, the goal line where we missed him and he uh, Ellinger walks in for a touchdown. I mean, bad run fits. Yeah, I mean the coaches. The coaches sometimes didn't call the best game, especially offensively. But when the when they did make the right plays and the plays were there to be made, the players didn't make them. How much responsibility though do you put on the coaching staff for not having the players ready to execute at a higher level? Um, I think you, I think you can blame the coaches, but at the same time, I think it comes down to a point where leadership needed to step up, and I think that's one of the biggest problems this whole year has been leadership. Oh, I, I 100% agree with you on that front. I mean, that's something I was worried about at the beginning of the Kirby. season. I think, I think Kirby's sideline demeanor really showed it because he wasn't his himself. He was not flipping sure. out like he has in the past. Yeah, and I, and, I, and people said that that's one of the Nick Saban traits, that when his team's not playing well, he doesn't get angry because he knows they'll shut down. Yeah, yeah. So I mean, Kirby, was, Kirby was trying to be a different person to try to bring his team out. Yeah, look, I, I go back and forth on this. I mean, it's a double-edged sword Like when you're talking about, all right, well, the players can execute, but isn't it the coach's job to prepare them to get ready to execute? So it's it's tough to know where to put the majority of that blame. And, and I think the right answer is it, there's enough to go around for everyone. I think the players have to execute. It's their job to do that. The coaches have to do a better job of getting them ready to execute. Uh, now, like, honestly, in my book for this game, it was a total team failure. Uh, it wasn't one person. It wasn't one coach. It was, this was a team failure. Uh, if you look at off, I mean, I, to me, I think the offense should. If you're talking, talking about what part of the team should bear the brunt of this blame, I would put a lot more on our offense and defense in this game. Pretty clearly, right? Yeah, I mean, even with the defense missing tackles and things like that, for the most part, they kept us in the game. The defense, I thought, played fine. The defense did not play spectacular. Uh, they weren't lights out, but I thought they played. I mean, plenty good enough for us to win this game. I mean, I, I, to me, if you look at the numbers, Texas got 355 total yards in the game, 4.6 yards per play. We held them to 4.6 yards per play, guys. That's really good. I mean, to put that in context, that if if we extrapolate the 4.6 yards per play that we held Texas to on Tuesday, if we extrapolate that out for an entire season, that would put our defense in the top 10 in yards per play allowed. Like, that's good enough to win football games. All right, that we should have won. Like, our defense played well enough to win the game. We, they weren't perfect. There were missed tackles. I mean, uh, you know, Azizo Jalari got a lot of playing time. as his first playing time of his career. Who missed a blindside sack that you can't miss and then let uh, Ellinger leak out for a, what, 10, 15 yard gain. Um, you talk about LeCount missing some tackles. We had a goal line uh, mess up there with the run fits. Uh, there, there were plenty of issues going on defense, but like, in totality, I think our defense played pretty well. I mean, we almost had a goal line stand there towards the, on their last touchdown, right? Yeah, like you and I both said, they played well enough to give us a chance to win. Yeah, absolutely. To me, it was much more so on the offense. Uh, and if you look at offensively, the failings, this is where I say like it was, it was all around the offense. It wasn't one person. Uh, Jake Fromm missed some. He missed some throws he normally makes. Man, he's and he's got to make those. There's a couple. There's at least what. At least two, I would say, that could have been touchdowns. Probably should have been touchdowns if he makes the throw. Uh, is there? I mean, two, does that sound about right? Two, maybe three? Um, yeah, two where he missed the wide open guys, and there were times where he just didn't even throw a ball where the guy had chances, right. you know, where he's just throwing it clear out of bounds. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and then, so, the, I mean, so part of it, you know, is Fromm didn't play his his A game. Uh, receivers were dropping balls. And J.J. Holloman, for my count, had at least three drop balls at the top of my head. Uh, and some of them were potential big gainers. And, and like, you know, there's one particular I know was on a first down. So it was in the second quarter. Uh, it was a first down shot. We had, uh, go, we had man coverage on the outside. He's got about a step, step and a half on the corner. Fromm puts it right on the money. Uh, it wasn't He was on the money all day long, but he was on the money on that particular throw. And J.J. got his fingertips on. He had it in his hands, and he just dropped it make the play. That would have been a big gainer. kind of loosens up what they were trying to do on early down, trying to shut down our run game. Um, so it wasn't just J.J. Though. I mean, there were plenty, plenty of – 
plenty of other guys that dropped some balls, had some issues. Offensive line, I thought, probably played as poorly as they did all season. Don't you? Yeah, 100%, especially um, on the right side. The right side was, an, I mean, for the first time all year, it, it was kind of an issue on the right side. I think we've been really strong on the right. I mean, we've been strong across the board on the offensive line all year. But I would say from center to the right side of the line, because Gilliard basically let two, I mean, I, I would say on him. I mean, you, it's hard to say for sure you don't know what the protection calls were. But from the naked eye, just watching the game, going back and watching it again, uh, there were at least two plays where Gilliard just simply did not touch a guy that come, that runs free right up the middle for a sack. So, I mean, I'm going to start with him there as a senior offensive lineman who's been so good for us. But then you have the right side was kind of musical chairs. That you start with Trey Hill. May's got a little bit of time. Then we end with Trey Hill. Uh, and you got Isaiah Wilson. I think was prob- he probably played as poorly as he has all year. He's been so good, so good for us. But like we said in the preview show, Texas's line was outmatched size-wise against our offensive front, but they were quicker. They were going to try to use that quickness, slant, stunt, twist, do whatever they had to do, uh, shoot gaps uh, to try to you know get some negative plays against our running game. And that was successful, was it not? Yeah, that's exactly what they did. Uh, Jake even mentioned in the post-game press conference, they, couldn't, they just couldn't figure out which way they were going to go. Yeah, I mean, they were. it wasn't the same thing. It, you know, two snaps in a row. They were they did a good job of mixing it up, but whatever they were doing, they were being very aggressive up front, exactly like we thought they would be. And to me, that was the biggest issue. Yeah, we missed some throws in the past game, then that's a problem. We can't we gotta hit those balls. We gotta catch them, we gotta we gotta throw them, we gotta hit those guys. But to me, the biggest issue, pretty clearly when you look at how our offense is built, is the run game was not working on Tuesday. It just simply was not. And they I think a big part of that was that they were aggressive up front with the way they were shooting gaps, uh, and just trying to create negative plays in the backfield. We only had two point four yards of rush, man. Like that's that's more than four yards below our season average per rush. That's crazy. Like that's not that's not going to get the job done. Uh, and when when we have a situation like that uh, where they're slowing down our run game with how aggressive they're being up front with their slants and their shooting gaps and all that stuff, and then we can't make them pay out wide because you know quarterback's not hitting guys down the field like he needs to. Receivers aren't catching balls when they're when they're actually put on the money. Then it's tough to to do anything offensively, and that's exactly what happens. We're under three hundred total yards. Uh, how much of an issue, though, because now when I'm looking at uh, what happened offensively, I'm going to turn our attention to the two guys that have gotten the lion's share of the blame for this loss, as they do with pretty much every time we lose. It always seems to come back to these two in the minds of many out there in the Georgia football fan base. It comes down to Jake Fromm and Jim Chaney. Whenever we lose, don't you always hear, Kurt, it's Fromm and Chaney, right? Yeah, usually. I mean, and it's not everybody, but there's a, there's the vocal group out there Especially in social media, let's get out there. We got a fire chain, and we got a bench from. So let's talk about those two guys. Let's talk, let's turn our attention there, and let's talk about let's start with the quarterback play. Um, it, he wasn't he wasn't particularly good, was he? Um, no. And the thing about Jake, when he's bad, he's real bad. I would see. I would disagree. Uh, he uh, the LSU game, he was horrific. I don't think he was terrible in this game. I think he was below average, but I, I don't think this game was as big of a disaster as the LSU game, right? It wasn't as big of a disaster, but when you, but we're the type of offense that when, when the plays are there to be made, we have to make them because if we don't, then you see what happens. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You're 100 percent right. Like when they, when teams, teams always come out to defend us pretty much the same way. Now Texas is a little more aggressive up front with the run blitzes and shooting gaps and things of that nature than than some teams are. Uh, but they they were basically going to try to make us beat them down the field and force them out of it, and we just didn't do it. And a, a big part of that was on from not hitting some of those balls on the field like he normally does. Receivers didn't always help him out, but he was a big part of that. 
uh, of the passing game just really not clicking on Tuesday night. Uh, but you, that's it. I, I thought Texas was also smart with the way. I mean, it goes on training too, but the way they're attacking. You know, a lot of the time we're successful because we just check down to our receivers out of the backfield, right. and they completely took that away. You could see that was part of their game plan, one hundred percent. Yeah, they uh, were. They were. They were had almost two guys almost every time going out there. And Jake was right talking about he's, after the game. He's like, "Hey, look, they had like about a month to prepare for us, and it showed. Like they know. They knew. Because let's be honest, because our offense is not a complicated offense. It's really not. Well, it never has been. No, and it doesn't. We it, just it, always said, "Come and stop us." Right. It's beautiful simplicity, but it all hinges on the run game. If you can't run the football, our offense is not going to work. And I've said it all year long. When we have to throw the ball more than twenty five times in a game, it's a recipe for us losing football games. We threw the ball 35 times in this game. We're not going to win very many football games when we have to throw the ball that many times. That's just not I'll how our this, offense is I'll built. I'll say this at least for Cheney's play calling. The LSU game, we got mad because he wasn't running it enough. He did try to he tried to get the run. He tried to be, you know, try to stick with the run enough to give it a chance to go. Yeah, he got killed in the LSU game. You're right about, about uh, getting away from the run too quick, abandoning that way too early. He didn't in this game. I and mean, he knows what we've got to do. And it just, we just, it wasn't clicking. I mean, they, they, Basically, when they were able to slow down the run game, we had to hit some balls on the field, and it, we just didn't. We didn't hit. Enough. We had a couple of them. And we tried. We, not enough. Let's be honest, in the run game, everything we tried a lot of different things. We weren't just the straights. You know, we tried. We tried different running backs. I mean, we tried a lot of different things. I would have liked to have seen us try to get the ball in the perimeter a little bit more because they were the run blitzing. They were blitzing heavily up the gut. Uh, on early downs especially. So if there's one little bit of criticism there, I would have liked to have seen us attack the perimeter a little more, maybe throw some screens yeah, in. You and I were texting about that game, but there were a couple times I did notice in particular where we were trying to get it outside, but they were getting such penetration up the yeah. middle we couldn't even get it outside. Yeah, no, yeah, absolutely. And that certainly did happen uh, at times throughout the game. And it's I just, mean, there were a couple times, especially with Elijah, where we were successful getting out there, but it wasn't it – wasn't, Constant. Yeah, I mean, there, there were a few times, but not like we have made like we made a lot of hay on that, especially the second half of the season. Uh, it, it just, you know, I would say with Cheney, there were a couple of things that I think we could have done better uh, from a play calling standpoint. I would have, like I said, maybe try to get the ball in the perimeter a little bit more. But you're right; sometimes the execution wouldn't allow that to happen. I would like to have seen us try to run uh, a, a few screens here and there just to slow yeah, down the rush a little bit. I would, have, I would have liked to have seen us try. More. Yeah, I mean, and just just one or two other, just to, just to try to slow down the rush. I don't think – did we try a screen in the game? No. I, not that I can think of at the top of my head, but I'll go, it's, I'll go back to this too. It's kind of like the first year of, of the Curry Smart tenure where, you know, remember how bad our offensive line was that year in year one? Yeah, you, you see, yeah, you're right. Like the last two years, especially in this year too, our offensive line's been so much better, and that's why our offense has been better. Yeah, absolutely. Like when your offensive line is not blocking at a high level in a particular game, it's hard to call plays at all. Like it, not much is going to work. I mean, there were times in the game where you could see plays developing. We were trying to drop back to throw the ball down the field, and a play would be developing across the middle, but, but and Fromm's getting ready to release it, ready to step in the throw, but before he can get it off, there's pressure in his face, right? And he's got he's to pull it down and try to tuck it and run, try to get something. And the play can never quite develop, but the play was going to be there if we just get a half second longer. So, look, our offensive line has been a major part of our success throughout this entire year. But just as Fromm played pretty poorly, uh, I would say more than pretty poor. He did not have a good game in this game. The offensive line didn't either. The receiving core didn't particularly have a good game either. It was, it was all the way around. I think maybe you could say, <clears throat> if you take uh, Swift out of the equation, he had two fumbles in the game. It was probably his worst game of his career, uh, short career, but to this point. I, I thought Harrion and Holyfield played pretty well, didn't you? Yeah. 
I thought those guys played pretty well. They came to play, but the rest yeah, of the group... On, I, offense, on offense, those were the only two guys, in my opinion, that showed up. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's very fair to say. Um, and one thing I want to say like about Jake Fromm is, look, look this... Uh, let's go back to what you're talking about. Like when he plays poorly, he plays really poorly. I think that's pretty fair because uh, you look at the LSU game, he played bad and he played really freaking bad. You it's go back like the to Auburn the game, Auburn game last year, right? Yeah, he was missing wide open receivers and throwing them and stuff. When, yeah. he, when he doesn't have it, it, it's very noticeable. How do you? Because it's very strange. Because this is a guy who is extraordinarily efficient the rest of the year, right? So last year was really one game. This year we had uh, definitely the LSU game, and you could you could definitely say this game as well. I don't think I don't think this game was as disastrous for him as it as the LSU game was because the LSU game has made no bones about it, it was a disaster for him. Uh, just taking sacks and not throwing the ball, just things that he never ever does. Uh, and then this game was maybe a a a lesser version of that, but still certainly one of his his second worst performance of the year so how do you make sense of when like he's so good what how I mean what 11 other games out of the year so efficient and and gets us and it's so good for this offense but in these isolated situations he plays so poorly how do you explain that uh, you know I think I don't really know I mean it's weird like I said it's like when he's, he's like one of these people that he gets into a groove when he makes one good throw and he he didn't start the game off really well Let's go back and look at uh, – yeah, that's what I was looking at. Let's look at those three games. So I would say the three games we've played really poorly. I mean, because, you know, other than those three games, I'd say he's been good for us, very good for us, uh, and at times an elite quarterback. Because it's weird, like, you know, in the, in the biggest game of the year against the best team that we played all year, he had his best game of his career against Alabama. What, I mean, is that fair to say it was his best game of his career? Yeah, more likely all around. Yeah, yeah. I would say it was the best game that Jay Fromm has played. Now we didn't win, but he played the best game of his career. First time, first, it's the first time anyone threw for over three hundred yards since Deshaun Watts on this Alabama defense. So it's just it's crazy to think that you go from having your best performance on the biggest stage of the year against the best team that you played on the year, and then you come out in the Sugar Bowl yeah, against a lesser opponent, and you play so and you play as poorly as he did at, at, throughout most of the game. It's just it's kind of hard to figure out. But if you look at some of these games where he hash wrote, go back to Auburn last year, LSU this year, Texas this year. What did all three of those games have in common, Kurt? Um, we got down big early. Yeah, that's true. We got down big early, and the running game, for all practical purposes, was either something that we abandoned because we got down so early and we're trying to come back, or it just wasn't working like it was the case on Tuesday. I don't think we abandoned the run game. It just wasn't working on Tuesday. But you go back to uh, Auburn last year and LSU this year, we kind of abandoned the running game too early. So in those situations, to me, that's where Fromm is struggling. Does that make sense? Yeah. To where he, it kind of seems like he's pressing a little bit, right? He's like, okay, we're behind. We got to gotta make something happen. Like the interception he threw, right? In this game, he, he essentially just threw that ball up for grabs. Does Jake Fromm ever do that in any other game? No, I mean, if it... He does not do that. Throughout the rest of the year, he does not do those kinds of things. But in this game where he was pressing and trying to make something happen because we were we, we got down so early because of mistakes and whatever happened, but we were down, he's trying to make something happen, and it's kind of like his brain just, like, it, like, went haywire for a second. It's like, because those are things that Jake Fromm never does. Like, taking the sack against LSU... Uh, when he could have thrown the ball away to knock us out of field goal position, we're trying to make that comeback. That's something that Jake Fromm throughout the rest of the year did not do. He never does that, but he did it in that one situation. And he, like, and again, like the the interception against Texas, he never does that throughout the rest of the year. But he did it in that one situation. So it's just kind of feel like he's pressing and trying to make something happen. I think it's 
it's just evidence of the fact that he's like as good as I think this guy has been for us. I think he's been really good. He's been elite at times for us, but he still has some growing to do, right? Yeah. I mean, that's pretty clear, and, and that's okay because like I know we see him as like this veteran. Because I guess he is a veteran at this point, but he's still only a sophomore. Now he's got to grow from this and learn from it and get better, which I think he will. But it, it is concerning when we get down like this that he's that he presses as much as he has. I think our coaches have to do a better job of helping him out of the situation, maybe giving him some easier throws, some more high percentage type stuff to get into a rhythm. Uh, that's one thing I think Jim Chaney could also work on. Uh, but he, we've, when we get in these situations, we've got to find he's got he's got to find a way to stop pressing and just still be the same quarterback you are throughout the rest of the year when things are going well. Uh, I also think he needs to work on, like, look, Fromm is not a statue in the pocket, but when things break down in the pocket, it's not good for us, right? <laughs> no, no, he, he's done it since his freshman, you know, since last year, but he never, he, he lately hasn't done a good job of keeping his eyes downfield while moving around. I think when he's, like, I think in the pocket, Jake Fromm is as good as it gets. With his footwork and the way he slides in the pocket, he is, and the way he creates throwing windows, with the way he moves in the pocket, I think he is elite in that in that regard. But when things break down and like let's say there's pressure, him trying to like jet ahead and and, and scramble for a couple yards, it, 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 we need to improve on that because it's like he's almost moving in slow motion. Have you noticed that? Yeah. Like I know he's not he's not the most athletic guy on the face of the earth, but he's more athletic than, than I mean. It's I guess like the first second step when he's trying to escape pressure is not quick enough. Like we've got to do something to improve that a little bit this off season. For him, that's one thing I would go into this off season working on is that kind of first second step quickness there and just being able to take off. Like when you're feeling that pressure and there's in space opens up in the middle when they're playing man coverage, they have their backs to you when they're chasing receivers down the field. He's got to be a little quicker on that first step, maybe a little more decisive to just tuck it and run. Because there were a couple of plays in that game where he tried to do it. Maybe but maybe it was a, a step too late, and he didn't quite get in, get out of there, get out of the pocket in time to really make some some things happen. Uh, because if, there were a couple of times where if he could, was able to get, to get out of that initial pressure, he might have had 15, 20 yards of green grass in front of him. So that's one thing I also would love to see him improve on. That. I think he's so good in the pocket. But when things break down, he's got to get better. There. That's one thing where I think he really needs to improve. Uh, but real quick before we move on, I'm going to talk about Jim Chaney for one more second here. Because I've heard this a lot from people, and I know social media is not the best place to really get information, but you see this because people just they just spout a lot of times. Just well, I'm gonna say nonsense, but there's some things I don't think are, are entirely well thought through. But there is a, a growing idea out there, at least in the social media sphere, that uh, Jim Cheney is holding our program back. Like we're not going to be the program we need to be until we make a move at the offensive coordinator position. Do you buy that, Kurt? No, because those are the same people that whenever he calls a good game, we put up 30 to 40 points, they're quiet. They don't say a single word. Well, it's like the Fromm haters, right? When Fromm plays as well yeah. against Alabama, no, they don't say a word. It's like it's, it's the people who come out of the woodwork, right? When, when everything is going well, there's not a peep. But as soon as something bad happens, oh, my God, they, you hear from them nonstop, right? It's like they. It's almost as if some people out there just wait for bad things to happen for our program, which is just. It's strange. It's a, it's a strange mindset for me. Like, well, you have that nowadays in the world of internet trolls, anyways. Oh, absolutely. I mean, and that's what it is. It's just, but it's just kind of funny. It's like, God, you call yourself you, you're Georgia fans, and I'm not gonna say you're not a Georgia fan, but it's weird. Like, you just you're vocal when when, when, thing, when bad things happen. You don't have any, you never have anything good to say about the program. You only have bad things to say about the program, which is just. It's strange. It's strange how that works. Uh, but it's it's cool. Everybody does their thing. Um, but, like, I would say Jim Chaney is not holding our program back. And I know that some people might say that I'm a Jim Chaney defender. And that's fine. If you want to call me that, that's totally fine. I try to call it as I see it. 
But I'm just looking through these numbers, guys. Look, we were a top 10. We actually we were top five in yards per play. We were, I'm sorry, we were top five in offensive efficiency, top 10 in yards per play this season. We were top uh, 15 in scoring on the year in, a, in an offense that is a ball control running based offense. Like, are, how in the world are those numbers that should, that should get someone fired? Yeah, I agree. You know what I'm saying? Like, see, see, literally, top three in offensive efficiency, top 10 in yards per play. How is this something that. Is, how is this a guy that needs to be fired? How is he a guy that's holding our program back? I mean, there are tons of programs that would love to have an offensive coordinator that could put up numbers like that. I'm just, I'm just saying that, guys. I'm looking. He is not perfect. He does not call perfect games because no offensive coordinator does. There are things that I wish he would that that I wish that he would address sometimes. I, I, I on on Tuesday, I wish we would run a, been nice to run a couple of screens, attack the middle of the field a little bit more consistently. There are things that he can do better. Of course, there are. But you can say that about literally any play caller in America, all right? This guy has done an outstanding job of getting our, our offense rolling throughout these last two years. Now, yes, we've had great talent, but what offensive coordinator puts up major numbers without great talent? You have to have players. Of course you do. But <clears throat> I just don't think he's the problem holding our program back. I don't necessarily think he was a major problem on, on Tuesday. I think there were some things he could have done better, sure. But when the line's not blocking, not protecting, when Jake Fromm is not hitting pass down the field like he normally does, when receivers are dropping balls, when Fromm does put on the money, what are you, like, how is how is the play caller the problem in those situations? I just don't quite understand it. Uh, now, maybe that's just me, and it is just me, maybe. But that's kind of how I've seen it throughout this year, and that's how I continue to see it. Now, I'm open to evaluations, and I'd love to hear some thoughts from the people out there. <coughs> if you Excuse me. If you disagree, I'd love to hear some explanations. But if you look at the numbers, our offense has been extraordinarily productive under Jim Chaney. And I think some of the criticism is unwarranted there. But uh, I also want to <clears throat> – sorry, guys. Excuse me. There's something in my throat. Uh, I want to move on here for a second and talk about some of the young guys who played on defense. Now, we took full advantage of this new redshirt rule where, you guys can play, where the guys can play up to four games without having to redshirt on the year. And we played two guys in particular – a lot on defense. Devon Wilson, the star position, and Aziz Ojalari, who was out from both those guys were out with ACL injuries for pretty much, for the entire year until this game. They both got their very first collegiate action in a big time game, uh, or at least a big time uh, setting at, at the Sugar Bowl. So, Kurt, what did you make of first the decision to play those young guys in this game? Is that was that a misguided decision? Uh, no, actually. Don't think so because I mean, outside of that missed tackle by Aziz, I thought he played a pretty good game. Yeah. Okay. He, the sack. He's got to bring the guy down, right? He's got to yeah, bring Ellinger I mean, down. I mean, I thought he, I thought he brought more to the table than we've ever gotten from Walter Grant at that position. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, Walter Grant is not a pass rusher, guys. Walter Grant. The, the reason he's ever out there in the field is because he's got some versatility where he can play in space a little bit. Kind of. Well, and, yeah, and I think that's the thing with Aziz. He he could bring it pass rushing, but he's, he's, if you notice, he's also put on enough weight where he was doing decent in run fits. Yeah, that's what I was going to ask you. Why? Because from what I saw, Ojalari played more on standard downs than Adam Anderson did, and Anderson's a guy who's been coming on more of late. So why do you think that Ojalari got those snaps over a guy like Adam Anderson? I think it has to do with weight. Adam, you saw Adam Anderson. He had trouble, especially like when they were tucking running on third downs. He couldn't make a play. Absolutely. Adam Anderson is an explosive pass rusher. He's going to be a dominant pass he's rusher like, for he's us. He's like DeAndre Walker's first couple of years. Absolutely. Absolutely. He's just got to put on weight. I mean, he, basically, he gets in on a third down package. That's 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 what our dime package is when Anderson really makes his hay right now. Uh, he's just got to put on some weight, and I think he will. 
Um, he's not getting that offseason program. He'll be here for a full offseason. So I think that's going to happen. But I think you're right. Ojolari is just a bigger body right now that can both rush the passer and hold up better against the run than a guy like Adam Anderson right now just from a weight perspective. Uh, and I actually liked what I saw from Ojolari. This is a guy, again, first actual collegiate playing time coming off an ACL injury. I thought he looked pretty explosive, didn't you? Yeah, I did too. I mean, I, I really I, – I liked what I saw from this guy – and, I think, and clearly, he's only going to get better and better as time goes on. you got to bring the guy down the sack. I'm not going to make excuses there. But just looking from an athletic standpoint, I liked what I saw from him. I think he can be a big-time part of the equation for us moving forward, as will Adam Anderson. Now, what about Devon Wilson? Uh, this is a guy that was working with the ones, from what we heard, in spring before tearing his ACL. Kirby was kind of despondent over that. I remember the press conference when he kind of announced it. It's like, God, yeah, yeah, that one hurts. Uh did you, did you kind of see why on Tuesday, why Kirby and, and company were so high on him early in the year? Yeah, some people said McGee was injured, and maybe that's the case, but even then, I thought it was a friend. Uh, I didn't see it. I mean, they, they, they say he was injured. I didn't see it happen. That doesn't mean it didn't yeah, happen. Yeah, he, he walked off the field just fine yeah. after the game. But I thought Devon Wilson was a breath of fresh air. I thought the guy was, you know, he made some plays and coverage, just, just like that one where J.R. Reed almost had to pick. That was great coverage by Devon. And I thought yeah. that well, the one difference between the two, especially, was Devon was a lot more aggressive coming up and making tackles. Devon is the prototype for that position in Kirby Smart's defense. That's what he wants. He wants a guy that's big enough and physical enough to to support against the run, but also athletic enough to cover in space. And that is what Devon Wilson brings to the table. That is what we did not have this year. When you have Tyrant McGee playing the majority of the snaps uh, once he got back from injury the early year at the star position, really almost exclusively the snaps at the star position once he got back, he's a guy that has some good cover skills, but he's undersized and does not hold up as well against the run. And that's a problem for our defense at times, and it was throughout the year, because that's a key component to this defense, that nickel position. Guys, that's what Minka Fitzpatrick played for Alabama, and he was probably the best they've had at that position, and you saw what he was able to do in the NFL from that position. We need a guy like that. I'm not saying that Devon Wilson is Minka Fitzpatrick, but we need somebody that fits that prototype, who's thick enough and big enough to defend against the run, hold up in the box on occasions in, in run support, but also athletic enough to defend and cover in space, and that is what Devon Wilson brings to the table. Was he perfect on Tuesday? No, but it's the first time this guy has played period in the college game and I thought like honestly I saw the guy the future at that position did you yeah I mean to I, me, I, I truly believe so yeah I mean it's pretty like based on the guys that we have on the roster right now and we'll see who we who we end up landing maybe get Tyreek Stevenson maybe he'll factor into that equation I always thought that D'Angelo Gibbs was, was also a guy that had the body type for that position he was a bigger guy who could, who could support I, against the run? I'll tell you one person who I think may be a future fit who's going to challenge Devon. I think Lewis Stein, um, you know, he tore it up in the All-Star game. Yeah, I really think I, I think he's going to be a good player as well. Uh, and he, he and let's not count out a guy like uh, maybe Otis Reese in some situation. I don't know. If, like, do you think – my only question about Otis Reese, he's, he's obviously can hold up physically against the run in that, from that position. Do you think he's good enough from a man-on-man coverage perspective to play that position? I would rather see Otis over Richard at this point because Richard has his lack of consistency is very troubling. Richard is, uh, I'm, I am concerned about Richard LeCount right now. Honestly, I am. Because this is he, a guy. I mean, he's a small guy that tries to not deliver knockout blows, but, but he does. He tries to deliver knockout, but he he goes to the knockout blow and, and abandons simple, basic, fundamental tackling. 
He was a baby. You saw it. I mean, you saw it in the big run. They had a 30-yard run off of a, a bounced-off tackle. Yeah, and he's a small little dude. So, like, the big blowout shots. It's, now, I know those things worked in high school for him, but he's a small dude. And, and more often than not, he's going to bounce off some of those bigger guys. Like, we saw. Right? We saw throughout the year. He's just got to He's gonna learn just to get guys on the ground. I love what he brings us from uh, like a center field perspective because his ability to cover ground is uncanny. Like, the guy just covers so much ground. But he is got to improve as a tackler. And I, and I think he will. Let's not forget, he's still a young guy. Sometimes I know we put these expectations on these big five-star recruits and we expect them to be superstars right away. And sometimes it just takes some time. And he's done some good things for us, a lot of good things for us, especially playing center field. But you're right, the tackling was something that I think he regressed in throughout the year, right? Yeah. I think mean, he just absolutely regressed from that perspective throughout the year. I thought he did a pretty good job in time last year. I mean, I remember there's a game, uh, there's a play against Notre Dame. There's one against Tech where he just destroyed a guy last year. Uh, so you saw him the ability to do it, but he's kind of regressed and just the, he's just got to get back to fundamentals of tackling. That's just what he's got to do. Because and, 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 th- and I think that's why I see Reese more in that position because star you have to be able to cover. Yeah, and I don't know if I think Reese can cover from a safety position, but it's a that's a different type of coverage responsibility than it is playing star. Yeah, you're man up a little You're more of like a, a, a corner corner hybrid because sometimes you go to the line of scrimmage and cover people from there. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. It's almost like you're a space backer, and you know, there's because now you have like box safeties and space backers. Uh, our star position is almost like a space. It's, it's basically like a third linebacker almost for us in, in the way we use that position at times, especially on st- early standard downs. But you also on third down have to have the the ability to cover in space, and Devad gives us that. So I think he's the total package at that position. Now he's got to get better and improve, of course, as he hasn't played much at all. But I do think if you look at our roster right now, I think he's the guy that I think is going to be the odds-on favorite to be that guy next year. Now we have some guys coming in that could compete for that. I do think that you're right. I think that uh, Otis Reese is going to very much push. Richard account next year, especially if Jr. comes back. If Jr. doesn't come back, you know, then we'll have another opening. But if Reed comes back, I think you know Lecount better raise his game because I'll tell you right now, Otis Reese is coming. I mean, that's well, that's I mean, happening. You saw it too. There were times later in the season they were benching Lecount in certain situations to put Reese in. Yeah, absolutely, we were um, in in those in those more standard down situations. We we're expecting more run situations. So uh, I don't know, man. It's um, Lecount's got to improve. I just thought, I thought the young guys played well with as little experience as they had. Yeah, I, I thought they I thought they played really well. Uh, but can we go back to my original question? All right, I should say really well. I thought they played very well considering the circumstances, right? Being their first time actually getting some yeah. any time at all. I mean, in, in this kind of game, that that was impressive to me. But do you think it was the right move playing those guys? Did they did, like? Did the coaches really give us the best option to win by putting those guys in? I thought they did. Like I said, yeah. I thought that Devon played better than McGee had played in a long time, yeah. especially when it came to tackling. And yeah. then uh, Aziz, I mean, I hadn't seen anyone play better th- that's on the roster. I mean, who else are going to put in that? I mean, Anderson, I don't think, is strong enough to hold up with the run. In Texas, I mean, you guys saw they run the ball like 49 times. Yeah, Adam Cox Anderson is not a fit for, for that for that, for that that offense. Yeah, Cox was on the other side, so he wasn't playing over Cox, so you can take that out. Yeah. And, I mean, who's going to put uh, Keon Richardson? I mean, come on. Like, that's just that's not really and is that I mean I mean you can't put Walter Walter Grant's too small to hold up against them. It's yeah. just I mean it was it, it made sense. So I think our coaches used this new redshirt rule to their advantage in this situation. Um, so yeah, I, I have no problem with the move. Uh, yeah, there's some inexperience there that hurt us at, at maybe a, t- a couple times throughout the game, but I thought they played well, all things considered. Yeah, um, it also makes me kind of excited for the, uh, you know 
it's time's gonna shape the future a little bit with people like them and the more experience they get and also um i mean it makes you think without without walker you see how much we need someone like a jermaine johnson who can do it all oh my god jermaine i am like salivating at the thought of Jermaine Johnson being out there next year because I think that guy is going to come and be a plug he, and play. The thing I like oh. about him is he's so big, but he's so fast. He's the total package of that position because we think about it throughout the years. We've had guys that like, okay, so like a guy like Devin Bellman who's got the size to play the run, but he's not. A, he doesn't have the quickness to be an elite pass rusher, right? Yeah, you had George Jenkins who ended up being good at the run but was slow in the pass. Yeah, because he put on a little uh, some weight. And you had DeAndre Walker through most of his career. DeAndre Walker was a guy who was great against the pass. It was a pass rushing specialist, but he was undersized and couldn't hold up against the run, so he couldn't stay on the field consistently. And you had Lorenzo, who was kind of that way for a lot of his career, too. And we used him in an entirely different way his senior year. Uh, but we haven't had that kind of like total – and like Leonard Floyd, too, right? Yeah. Great pass rusher, but sus- suspect against the run, had trouble setting the edge, all that stuff. Uh, we haven't had that total package at that position, the guy that can set the edge and, and be dominant against the run but also be a dominant pass rusher. I think Jermaine Johnson can be that guy. I, I mean, we haven't seen him in the red and black, but from what I have seen of him on tape and from the people who have actually seen him at practice, because he was here during the bowl season, from a few guys I know that, are, that have a chance to see practice, one of the things they told me was like, oh my God, Jermaine Johnson, like watch out, freak. Um, so just everything I've seen, what I've heard from people that I trust, it just seems like this guy is poised to become a breakout player for us next year and maybe solve some of those issues, right? Yeah. And if you, if you kind of couple him with Aziz Ojolari and then with Cox and you have Anderson coming in, they can all play a role. And just and Nolan Smith, like, oh, my God. Like, yeah, I actually think we'll be the deepest at that position with uh, as we've ever been. I mean, I can't imagine a, a – Outside linebacker group, uh, a meeting room in the country that'd be more talented than that. Can you? Um, probably not. I mean, that that's getting to, to Alabama. Yeah, I mean, you can always say Alabama, and I, it's hard to argue with that. But like, I wouldn't. I would put our guys up against anybody in the country in that room. I really would next year. Uh, this year, when we had a good room too, but next year is going. I think it's going to be another. I mean, we lose this Walker. Year we just had too much. We didn't have enough upper class depth. Yeah, yeah, that's it. And we just didn't have enough. Honestly, we didn't have enough meat in that position. Like we didn't have enough guys that could hold up against the run consistently. Yeah. I mean, well, Cox could do it. You can't ask the freshmen to do that because they're not. They don't have good form. I mean, you saw Cox mess up on that uh, that throwback pass to yep. Ellinger. He yep. completely bailed. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, these guys are still young. I mean, we still have to remember as as. Painful as it is, as much as it sucks, and as angry as I am about losing this game, we are still like the the young, essentially the youngest team in the SEC, um, and there's a lot to be excited about moving forward. And that kind of brings me into the next part of this show, Curse. So that was kind of the specifics of this 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 Sugar Bowl game against Texas. But let's take a look at the bigger picture. So this loss, all right, as bad as I mean, it was bad. Like it just sucked. I mean, we didn't get blown out, but I, I mean, I, the final score was twenty eight twenty one. It wasn't like LSU, but it was just it wasn't it, it was we played so poorly. It was a poor performance. But was this more of a in your mind a blip on the radar, or is it symptomatic of a larger issue growing within our program with losses like this one, losses like the one at LSU, losses like the one at Auburn last year, where we're just not prepared to play every single game. We had these games where we just kind of don't show up and completely just get walloped? Like, um, I, I have two opinions. First off, um, I think that especially this game is just a lack of leadership across the board. Um, you know, we you saw some guys trying to get the rest of the players. It just wasn't resonating with some of these guys. Um, I think that some of the, this, this has been a really, really tough um, last couple weeks for the team uh, from missing out on the playoffs to the Justin Fields situation to losing Mel Tucker. I think that overall it was, it was a tough, 
time, and they, the team did not respond well. It was a perfect and, cocktail of toxicity. Yeah. That's how I, mean, I would put it. Was, it. Yeah. I think the end of the season couldn't come at a better time at this point right now for them to try to regroup and get going with the new group and get some players out and trade other guys, get out, you know, have some other transfers out and just try to, you know, kind of clean house a little bit. Yeah, I, I you know, one thing I heard a couple people say is – and again, this is not, I'm saying honestly, this is indicative of the entire Bulldog Nation in any way. I don't speak for them at all, and I don't, I'm not saying these people do, but I just, I, I saw a couple of times uh, after the game and throughout the last couple of days uh, the idea that either A, Kirby Smart is no different than, than Mark Rick. Let's, let's take that first off here, Kurt. It, does that bear any. Validity to you whatsoever. This idea that because I saw some people like put the records up, like Mark Rick was like thirty-two and eight, Kirby's like thirty-three and ten through the first three years. Do you buy the argument that we have that? Oh man, after, you know, after all everything has happened last three years, we really have an upgrade over Mark Rick. Yeah, I think it's hilarious to look at the first three years, not the last ten years. In the first three years, when <clears throat> there was no such thing as Alabama and Nick Saban, I mean, there was a Nick Saban, but there wasn't an Alabama, right? Yeah. Uh, it's it, it just. It's just mind-numbing to me. It's just baffling that people want to make that comparison, which is fine. It's okay. Uh, let's not forget that Kirby inherited Mark Rick's mess. Um, let's just throw that out there. In the 2013 class, which was an absolute disaster that Kirby had to deal with his his first year. But that's okay. Because uh, I, I, I I'm not going to bash Mark Rick. I don't want to get into that. Uh, Mark Rick, love the man. Absolutely love the man. Great for college football. Was really good for our program for a long time, but it tailed off. So I just I, I don't want to bash Mark Rick, but I'm just going to say I think it's laughable to try to compare Kirby Smart to Mark Rick at this point in his career. We'll see what happens down the road, but I just – I don't – I just – I don't buy that. Uh, and then the other thing as I see is, is that, hey, you know what? Nick Saban doesn't do this. You know, Nick Saban never has a letdown. Do you buy that? Um, You know, it, it is frustrating because Saban's never lost as bad as it is, but I think uh, – really <laughs> What do you mean Saban hasn't lost his what, – what, say that again? I don't, especially at Alabama, Saban hadn't had these this bad of losses like LSU. He doesn't have these Auburn. like yeah these LSU losses or, or, or Auburn losses last year but where we just don't show up. I don't up. think I don't realistically think Saban's ever had a team this young either. <clears throat> yeah, absolutely. I mean, look, it's it's a comparing Kirby Smart to Nick Saban in the last five years is a different animal. Kirby Smart is still in year three of building our program. Saban's in what year twelve of Alabama. Yeah, he's he's got a seven eight year head start on Kirby Smart right now. When even even his first three or four years, he always had upperclassmen. He also lost to Louisiana Lafayette his first year. Um, yeah. So I mentioned that, and then in two thousand eight, they lose the SEC title game to uh, to Florida, and then go to the Sugar Bowl and lose to a Utah team they had yeah, no they, business they losing to. The night before. Yeah, absolutely. So look, I'm not saying that Kirby Smart is Nick Saban because he's not. He has not gotten there. We are we are not Alabama. We are not at that level yet. We're trying to get there. We are not there yet. We're on the we're on the way. We're close, but we're not there yet. But to sit there and say that well, this never happens to Saban is just ignoring history. Because it has happened to Saban, right? Especially in his first couple of years on the job. Now, I will say it hasn't happened in recent history, right? Is that fair? Yeah. Like, now that Saban's got the, the machine humming uh, at, at, in Tuscaloosa, it has not happened in a couple of years. It has not. I mean, he, he it's crazy how now with, this, with their Alabama machine rolling, how every single week, every single game, they are ready to play, like, without fail. That is true. We are not there yet. I mean, we, we, you can say that for us, about us, like 90% of the time. Like you said, that 11 out of 13 games this year, which is pretty good, but it's not good enough. Obviously, it has to get towards 13 out of 13 games or 14 or 15 out of 15, whatever it is. But we're not there yet. But to say that Nick Saban never had games like this in his career at Alabama is simply 
willfully ignoring history because those games did happen. Um, I'm not. That's no excuse for them happening here. I'm not. I'm not trying to excuse Kirby. Because regardless of whether they happened to say when he was first building the Alabama program, I still don't want it to happen here. Right? Like yes. it's starting to get a little. I don't know. Is it concerning to you at this point? Like, I, I guess that's the, the big picture. Like, is it concerning to you that we have these just like mind-numbing, like just what the hell happened kind of losses? Um. Yeah, I think it's just. I still think we're in the middle of transition. I think that that's one of the biggest things. Is like, first off, this was supposed to be a bridge year. We were never supposed to compete for the national title. I mean, everyone thinks we are. Everyone thinks that your your team's going to every year, but realistically, we shouldn't have competed this year. Um, for one, and I and I still think that this program is in the middle of change of trying to truly become who we are and who we are, who are meant to be, and what we should be. Absolutely, I man, that was very well said. I, I couldn't have said that better myself. I mean, year one was tough, right? That was that was yeah. laying the groundwork. And then we saw the we saw the benefits of that in year two with a with a very good senior group. And we were we were really ahead of schedule and, and that, that yeah. kind of t- tampered everyone's expectations. Yeah, the, all the guys coming back that we didn't expect to come back allowed us to get ahead of schedule last year. Now this year some of those guys leave and we have a leadership void, which is something that I voiced concern about early in the year. Before going back to the offseason, like I was concerned about the leadership equation. Some of the guys because think about the guys you usually have as leaders. It's like you're your quarterback, right? Well, a quarterback is is got every leadership ability you would want, but he's still a young guy, right? And sometimes it's tough to be the leader when you're a sophomore. Uh, and then you've got you lose guys like Lorenzo Carter and Roquan Smith and Davin Bellamy on defense. You lose those guys. You got some young guys replacing them. I thought Jonathan Ledbetter did a really really good job of being a leader for us defensively and for this entire team. I thought, and he's one guy that we didn't talk about in the in the, in the rundown of the game. I, I just want to say again, I thought he played lights out, didn't you? Yeah, I, he, I thought he played really well. I mean, I thought he was probably the, our best player on defense. I mean, I, he and he was so good for us to, the second half of the season. So I just want to give some kudos there to a guy that's done a heck of a job for us throughout his, his time here in Athens. But uh, you know, coming in this year, the leadership was a question for me. And then when you had, like you said, this like in the, what I phrase as the perfect cocktail of toxicity, where you have the letdown factor after getting left out of the playoffs, you blow the game to Alabama, you have the whole Justin Fields drama, you have a defense coordinator that leaves. All of those are distractions that take away from a game like this that some players might see as kind of like a, a, a meaningless exhibition type game. And you have DeAndre Baker not playing. You have three stars out on defense. I mean, think about defensively. We were missing our best pass rusher, our best cover corner, and our best run stuff in the middle with Jordan Davis, right? Yeah, I mean, you have to think about, too, in terms of leadership on defense – it was nice to have Ledbetter on the line of scrimmage, of course, but you always want to have a leader in the in the linebacker court because he's always that's always been considered the captain of the defense. Yeah, and absolutely. We had none of that. Absolutely, and I'll go back to what you were saying earlier about how we're still building this program. You are hundred percent right. Look at our roster, guys. We have upgraded our roster tremendously the last couple of years, but a lot of those upgrades are young, young guys. 68%. 68%. And we still have deficiencies on this team, particularly on defense. Inside linebacker this year was still a deficiency. I will maintain that until the day I die. In 2018, the Georgia inside linebacking core, as hard as those guys played, as much as I appreciate what they did for our program, they were not up to the caliber of what we need to be a championship-level team. They just simply were not. We had some deficiencies at corner at times throughout the year, not with DeAndre Baker, but on the other side, safety at times was a problem. Uh, we were really good on the offensive line for the most part, uh, but we did have a few a few lapses here and there in certain games. I mean, LSU, they got too much pressure on us in that game, and they saw the same thing uh, against Texas. Although they were great throughout most of the year, there were 
we're still young at those areas, and there are some deficiencies within the program. And we're we are addressing those. Yeah, we had the number one class in the country last year. Those guys were freshmen. It's when you add class number one, number two class on top of each other year after year after year. That's when you have an Alabama level program, which we have not gotten to yet because we're still in year three of our program. We still have to continue to build out our program. We're getting there, but we are not there yet, right? Yeah. I mean, that's just yeah. as simple as it is for me. Uh, and I would say, like, too, I just want to say this about bowl games. Like, look, I'm not making an excuse for the fact that we lost. We lost this game. Texas, congratulations. They won. They played significantly better than we did in this game. It was their Super Bowl. They were up for it for us. It was a letdown situation. But that's, that shouldn't be an excuse. It does That should not be allowed to happen. We should have won the game regardless. We cannot allow that to happen. But I will say drawing definitive conclusions off of a program, you know, uh, about a program's trajectory off of a bowl game performance is very dangerous business. Do you agree with that? Uh, yeah, I do. I mean, I think the biggest thing is, especially like when you look at it. Uh, I mean, the, it, it, let's look at bowl season this year. Even go all the way up until this national championship, there's not been one good bowl game. Oh, they were terrible. I mean, well, some of the lesser ones really early on were decent, but you're right. The big time games or the the power power five matchups not really good, were they at all? No. No, I mean, I guess you could say it was the Oregon, the Red Box Bowl, Oregon, Michigan State was a close game, but it was freaking seven to six. I watched like that entire game, and it sucked. <laughs> I don't know why I watched it. I am a lesser man for watching that game, but I stuck through it. Uh, but yeah, like I just like let's let's take the Sugar Bowl and the and the Peach Bowl for example, right? Florida beat Michigan what forty one to fifteen, something like that, right? And then we lose twenty eight twenty one. Now, if you if you didn't watch the rest of the season, you just watched those two games. Who would you say should be clearly one hundred percent the SEC's favorite next year? They would say Florida. Of course you would, but you cannot draw definitive conclusions off of bowl game performances because there's so much context that goes into it. Like, like I said, we didn't have our our best pass rusher, our best cover corner, and our best run stopper on defense. Now, offensively, we had basically everybody. We just played like trash. I mean, there's no excuse there. But we didn't have our defense coordinator there. Um, yeah, obviously, it's a, the, the context of us, you know, being let down by not getting in the playoff. Texas trying to make a name for themselves and get an announced the nation that they're back. I mean, there's context to it. And then you see the same thing with Michigan. Michigan gets blown up by, by Ohio State. Their playoff hopes are dashed. Uh, they had like. All their best players on defense not playing, except for Winovich. Winovich played, but Bush didn't play. Uh, Gary didn't play. Left tackle didn't play. They like uh, starting running back didn't play. So I mean, when you're drawing conclusions off of a bowl performance, I think it's very very dangerous. All right, now you can look at individual I players. Love it though, I'm going to be honest. I love it because all the teams could be on Florida, and I think it'll change the narrative for our team. I oh, think, dude, absolutely. I think it'll change the narrative for our team going into the offseason. I also think that this loss, as bad as it was and as angry as it made us, is one of the more humbling experiences and may make the team more receptive to any message Kirby has for them. I think being humbled is can be a very healthy thing. It hurts like hell right now for us and for them, I'm sure. But I know it hurts for me. Um, but it, it can be a very healthy thing if we respond the right way, right? Yeah, the, and I also think one type of emotion is embarrassment. I think a lot of our kids are embarrassed at what they put out there, and I think that's going to be taken to heart. I'm embarrassed? That's part of the reason I'm angry. I'm embarrassed. Like, I don't... I just, dude, it just pisses me off when we lose two teams that we are better than. Like, like losing Alabama, like, I wasn't pissed off about that game because I thought, you know, our coach did a great job getting guys ready to play and we had a great game plan and we didn't close it out, but I was I was depressed and still depressed about it. I wasn't angry because Alabama, like, objectively, is probably better than us, right, still at this point. But losing to Texas, the reason I'm pissed off about it is because they're not better than us. 
The reason I'm pissed about losing to LSU is because they're not better than us. Like they should, we should not lose those games. And we've got to get our program to the point where we don't have these screw-ups, where we lose to teams that are better than us. And we don't do it throughout the year. Like, yeah, I guess we had against Vanderbilt the first year, and then you know had Auburn last year, then LSU, and now Texas. So it's not like it's every game, but like we've got to get to the point where these games don't happen. We can, if we want to be the blue blood that we that we that we think we are and want to take that next step, we've got to get over this and stop losing these games. Now, if you lose to Alabama. Okay, it happens. You lose to Clemson, things like that happen. But you can't lose to inferior teams. You just can't let it happen. Just can't. We're not going to get where we want to go if that doesn't change. But uh, I'm with you, though, man. Like, there's nothing more. I, I I would love nothing more than for us to be, like, in the offseason, there to be, like, Florida's the, the should be the favorite, right? Yeah. Like, to me, that, that the motivation that we can use that, or the, the way we can use that to motivate our team is just – a very healthy thing, I think. I don't think that's going to be the case. I think most people still say that we're going to be the favorite. But there's, there's going to be a lot of Florida talk. I bet you there's going, to be, there's going to be some South Carolina talk with some of the guys that got coming back, although they get looked like complete trash in that poll game. Oh, my God, that was embarrassing. But definitely going to be some Florida talk for sure. Um, and that's okay. And our guys should be embarrassed. They should be angry like I am. And I just hope they use it the right way. And I have I, I do trust Kirby and our staff to get – uh, to use this game the right way and to get the most out of this team heading into the 2019 season, which I think is a season. All the schedule I do think is going to be a good bit more difficult, although it certainly helps when Travion Williams from A&M announces he's going pro because I was highly concerned about that game next year. Uh, and so Jay Sternberger as well, they're tied in. But still, regardless, it's going to be a tough schedule next year, but I think we have the pieces in place to make a playoff run. I'm not, I'm not going to sit here and predict we're going to make the playoff next year. I'm not ready to say that yet. I need to watch how things develop. But is it fair to say that we're going to be if we if we respond the right way, we will be in a position to make a potential playoff run? Yeah, I think it's a good shot. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, all right, uh, I think I've exhausted about everything. I don't know if I can talk about this anymore. It still pisses me off. So, are you good, man? Yeah. All right, guys. That does it for us here today on the Glory UJ podcast. Again, apologize for being a, a day or two late here. I had to get back from New Orleans, kind of get everything situated. But I want to get – I'm actually uh, in the middle of work here, taking some time to, to uh, record this show for you guys so we could get it out there. I didn't want to wait until Sunday. That's just ridiculous. So I want to take get done as quickly as we possibly could. But I am sorry there was a couple days later than normally is on these recap shows. But uh, thanks for listening, guys. Uh, really appreciate it. And appreciate all you guys sticking with us throughout the year. If you're not subscribed to us on Podbean, go ahead and do so, man. Give it a shot. We Just because the season's over doesn't mean that we stop covering Georgia football. We don't. I have a lot of good content planned for you guys. Um, kind of recapping the season and also looking forward to the recruiting, uh, The in, I guess the February signing period. Then they'll start looking at the 2020 class. Uh, got some basketball stuff to talk about. We got a lot of stuff throughout the football season. Or throughout, I'm sorry, throughout the off season. So check us out on Podbean and click on the link on our profile there on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. It's only two dollars a month. You get a free week to try it out. We certainly encourage you guys to do that. We appreciate everyone who has uh, already done so and has helped us keep this thing going. Really do appreciate that. But uh, we'll be back next week for you guys. Um, thanks for listening, for Curtis. I'm Tyler. As always, go dogs.